Welcome to another Culture Gym podcast with your hosts Carly Richards and Gareth Shackleton, talking to each other and guests about good mental health, peak performance and employee engagement through your culture. Let's work out. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Culture Gym podcast with my co-host Carly Richards and I'm Gareth Shackleton. And this morning we have a special guest on the show, Harsha Moore from Moore Solicitors. Welcome, Harsha. Morning, Gareth. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you again, too. And morning, Carly. Hi, how are you? Very well, thank you. Very well, indeed. Good. Uh, this morning we will jump straight into it because uh, our special guest, we want to uh, exploit her as much as we can on the on the show and get as much of that knowledge uh, from her. So, um, Harsha Moore is a solicitor in Watford. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, specialising in employment law, in uh, discrimination cases, in unfair dismissals, and dealing a lot at the moment with redundancies, I believe, with the uh, coronavirus situation, the pandemic uh, situation. So lots for us to dig into there at the moment. So maybe Harsha, just to, to kick things off, you know, maybe just give us a flavour of what's going on for you at the moment in, in uh, employment law practice. Mm. So, yes, thanks, Gareth. Um, so at the moment there there are a lot of I'm seeing a lot of redundancies, um, especially now. Uh, earlier on in uh, the sort of lockdown period, it was quite quiet while people were being furloughed, and and the the sort of employment law situation was quite. Uh, I suppose it was uh, just quiet in the background, and you kind of knew it was going to erupt. And about mid August, when people uh, were nearing the end of the furlough period. Um, uh, the situation changed. Employers had to start thinking what they were going to do, and there was lots of restructuring going on, uh, a lot of changes. And uh, even if employers didn't want to, they they ended up facing a redundancy. And um, so I am seeing a lot of redundancies at the moment. Uh, it's suddenly got very very busy. Uh, obviously, furloughs ending at the end of this month. Uh, so um, mm. I think it's quite a critical time. Do you act for the um, employer or the employee or both? Um, I'd say mainly for the employee. It, it, and I do have some employer uh, clients, um, but it, it tends to be, you know, I'll, I'll act for who comes through the door, really. So uh, I tend to get individuals with problems and it's perhaps historic. I used to work in the voluntary sector um, and so maybe uh, quite naturally, it's where I attract work. Um, and um, so I get a lot of individuals who've got problems at work, uh, as opposed to a lot of employers. I have a few employers who, um, who might uh, want advice, but they, they're more likely to go initially, I think, to someone who does HR and only call in a, a legal team when they really need to. Mm -hmm. And what, what reasons would that be? Why would they really need to have a legal team on their side for? for yeah, so I suppose um, if they if there was going to be litigation, so if it wasn't a straightforward termination, redundancy, or um, or even if it was just a straightforward misconduct issue, um, they might use HR for that. But if it uh, if it overflows into the individual, then taking legal action against them, then they're going to want um, uh, legal advice and a solicitor on board, whereas HR probably wouldn't run a, a tribunal claim. Uh, but 
I, I would. So uh, they're more likely to come to me at that point. They do use solicitors, I think, um, for drafting things like settlement agreements, uh, but they're more likely to be solicitors that they have on board uh, to do other, other things, perhaps business related uh, aspects of their, of their business as well. So. So other than drafting the contracts, it, would it be the case that you know things have gone pretty badly wrong by the time a, a lawyer's drafted in to, to deal with a, uh, a dispute uh, around redundancy or any kind of uh, uh, employment dispute? Yeah, that's my experience when um, an employer comes to me for advice. Uh, that is my experience that things have gone wrong um, mm -hmm. and, and it's probably got to a stage where it, it, if perhaps they'd had advice earlier uh, from HR or, or a solicitor, um, yeah. perhaps things could have could have been dealt with a little bit differently. Can I ask what, what are employee rights, uh, well, employee and employer rights in, in terms of redundancies at the minute with the coronavirus? So redundancy um, has a definition under the Employment Rights Act, um, the 96 Act. So it's either the, the employment has, uh, the work has ceased to exist or it's diminished. So diminished is obviously where we have restructures and you have to kind of um, reduce numbers because the work has gone down. And that's what's happened in a lot of uh, cases at the moment with the pandemic. Uh, work has declined. So instead of needing five people to do the job, they can probably do uh, do it with just two people um, so if that's the case then they have to um, it for fairness they should really do like a selection criteria and decide wh who of those five should then lose their job uh, and who should be kept on so in a redundancy it should be more uh, the role has gone or diminished as opposed to they want to get rid of a person um, so it, it really should be looking at it from the business aspect of what do we need in the business and then consider who, who within their staff team can meet that need. Uh, whereas sometimes what happens and what I, I find uh, with people who come to me is that um, the individual is targeted and they say, well, we want to get rid of him over there. Um, and so we will create a situation which then uh, narrows his chances of securing the position down. So that's when we would have uh, what would be an unfair dismissal. And it's it's kind of uh, specific to an unfair selections for redundancy. So we, we might accept that a redundancy is necessary, but not, not necessarily done fairly. So the selection process might not be fair. Hmm. Right. So it's, it's almost like interviewing for your job again, that, you know, in this kind of redundancy situation that you're describing. Yeah, absolutely. So sometimes they do go through a new uh, interview process as well. I suppose the larger the organisation, the more likely uh, that they might have selection criteria and interviews again. So, uh, you know, I, I suppose in reality, try and steer away from uh, another interview because it's a lot of pressure on people. Mm. And so uh, they use the term slotting in. So if people can be slotted in to the new structure, then that makes it much more smooth. But if you have five people at exactly the same thing and you only need two of them, then they're going to have to uh, find a fair criteria 
which may also mean another interview yes mm -hmm. yeah interesting That's quite a lot of pressure for employees to be put under yeah i think it is a lot of pressure on employees especially where right now um one of the one of the issues is obviously that uh, they are fearful i suppose and uh, you know very anxious that when they lose that job um the likelihood of them securing a new job very quickly uh, becomes a bigger issue. You know, if it was last year, uh, if you had a, a redundancy, you'd kind of think, okay, well, you know, in, in three months, hopefully I've secured a new job at the same kind of level. I think right now, um, the anxiety is that you lose your job. Yes, you might have a payout, you might get your redundancy, you might even get an enhanced redundancy pay. Um, but the fear is you may not secure new work quickly. And even if you secure new work, the likelihood is that your pay is going to be lower. So the, the anxiety is how do you cover your costs? You know, even simple things, roof over your head, food on the table, mm. um, I think becomes um, a big concern. And then it impacts on how you perform at interview because you're not feeling very uh, secure and safe and you're fearful, you're anxious going into that interview. So, it, you know, it has a rippling effect on, on being able to secure new work as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. We usually cover the, the, the positive aspects of, of culture in this, uh, in this podcast, but, you know, today, I guess what you, what you see are some of the negative aspects of culture, how that's affecting uh, people's work how they perform, uh, how they're selected for redundancies or, or indeed how they're unfairly dismissed. So what, what are some of those attributes of a, you know, negative attributes of a culture that you see uh, being uh, expressed in the cases that you, you have? I suppose one of the main things, uh, you know, having done discrimination work as well for, uh, for a very long time um, is that People, people kind of close down um, uh, their, the kind of broad-mindedness of, of uh, anything. So whether it was recruitment, but now we're talking about selection criteria and how you choose people. And so there sometimes can be a tendency to kind of uh, be very narrow in how you select those few people who are going to carry the business forward, um, which could lead to aspects of discrimination because then you might think, oh, well, you know, that person, for example, doesn't have children, doesn't have responsibilities. So they're going to be able to do a, a 50 or 60 hour, uh, uh, sorry, 50 or 60 hours per week. Uh, but the, the woman who has children and has other responsibilities in her life, she won't be able to. So even if they don't do it consciously, it could be an unconscious process where they think, well, what we need uh, is someone who can give us more than 100%. They can give us 150% because that's the only way we'll survive in the future. That becomes a problem for those people who can easily do the 100%, but because they have, you know, they might have children or they might care for older people, they might have other issues in their life. It, you know, they could be um, studying, they could have a disability, whatever it happens to be. But if they have anything else in their life, it might be unconsciously held against them. And I think that is a, a real concern uh, going forward. Um, where people, I, and you can understand it from the employer's point of view, they need people who are going to carry their business forward. Um, 
but we do need to make sure that we stay in line with the law as well. Mm -hmm. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. Um, Very you, interesting. Yeah, it, it is indeed. Absolutely. Do you see these these kinds of issues as being endemic within a business that you end up having to to work against? I guess in this case. Yeah. And and then just being expressed because of the circumstances. You know what I'm thinking. You know the culture is already there. The the culture of discrimination, if you like, mm -hmm. exists within the business. Um, but it, it could be hidden or masked or you know not not obvious until a situation like you know a redundancy uh, situation occurs and and then it becomes expressed and obvious. Yeah, um, I do see it. Uh, but what you know, I suppose um, I do, I do try and look. I know you were talking about negatives and positives, so I do kind of try to see positives and I think what you find sometimes or what I find is um, sometimes you get individuals within organizations so if you get a large organization mm. and you find that there's let's say systematic or almost in institutionalized discrimination what is um, what is helpful is when you get the individuals and sometimes HR individuals who are are trying to help the organization change internally. The HR's objective um, is to protect the employer, but when they can also see that things haven't been done correctly, you've kind of got them slightly on your side. So although they're there to protect the employer, uh, the, the dialogue in, in trying to help that individual at that time um, becomes a little bit smoother. It becomes a little bit easier to do because they can see um, see their point of view and see what's mm. happening to them. Um, I think unfortunately in, in a lot of organizations, the big change uh, that I have uh, seen um, is when, when women go on maternity leave, or in fact, even when men take maternity leave, uh, the, the dynamics change because they, there, there is a, uh, I suppose, a, a perception as to whether that person is then going to be um, committed to their role or whether actually their focus now will be their children. Uh, and that, that does still happen um, in small places as well as large places. And you, know, uh, and you do see that shift uh, where absolutely everything was fine and rosy and they got on and you know, Friday nights they were all having drinks together and suddenly the person uh, has ha has gone on maternity leave and things change, often ending up in some kind of um, redundancy. <laughs> I have to say, so it, it does happen all the time. So that you know that's a, that's a shame. And uh, you know, culturally, it would be useful if there's a shift in that. You know, uh, people with other responsibilities have a you know, of course, they have a lot to give, um, and our expectation um, as employers. To want more than the 100%, I think, needs to change. We need to have a better work-life balance so that we appreciate people and they're productive when they're at work, but they're allowed to feel when they leave work, they can actually go and enjoy themselves as opposed to having the work hang over them still. Hmm. And what do you think is the best way for that to happen? Would you suggest hmm. that employers should employ more people 
it reduced hours. Do you, what's your opinion of people now working from home and how might that affect things? What do you think should happen or could happen in the not so distant future to improve that? Yeah, I'm not sure if I have an answer, Carly, for that. Um, in terms of what what one thing would help, um, I just I think it's about keeping an open mind and keeping flexible um, in our approach to any situation. So different people need different things, I think. And if we keep that open and we keep the dialogue open, so if someone needs to work from home and they're they're very productive for those five hours or whatever they do from home, then let that be the way it works. Uh, if someone is better off in the office, then then actually uh, let's try and accommodate that even through this um, COVID situation, if that's possible. So I think it, it it's keeping it flexible, moving and keeping that dialogue going and not, not thinking that um, the one kind of situation would fit everyone. Um, I, I think that would be uh, what I kind of think would be a good way forward. It is hard when I think as employers, we kind of just want a structure. We want to know everything that's going. We want a lot of control over it. But it, I think if we stepped back as employers and think, well, what do we want? We want the business to work. We want productivity. Um, and if we kind of thought, well, if we loosen that control and uh, allow our staff to be productive in the, in the best way they see fit. So keeping a dialogue, it's not that they can go off and do anything. Um, some jobs have to be done during certain hours because of course you're waiting for other people and you need to communicate with other people. But if we kept that dialogue going, I think that would make some businesses thrive, whereas they're being controlled uh, just because we think this is how we've always done it. People in the office working a nine to five or whatever they do. Um, and because we can see them, we know they're working. Well, in reality, we know that uh, just because they're in the office, they're not necessarily productive. Yeah. Gareth and I have often have conversations along the same lines, to be honest, about how things could improve in any sense, you know, and I think what you're saying about flexibility, dialogue, um, and, and attending to people's needs is very important. All three things are incredibly important, not just because of the coronavirus, but in general, in general yeah. employment. Um, I wonder, do you notice a difference between larger organizations and smaller organizations, both in general, but in how they've managed this coronavirus, perhaps with redundancies or furlough or, or, or anything like that? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say I've noticed a split between big or small necessarily, but maybe I don't have a large enough client base to, to really um, kind of draw those lines. Um, but you definitely get those who have been fantastic through the, the whole process. Um, situations where uh, people have not been furloughed, but have been, uh, but because there hasn't been work, but they've been allowed to stay at home on full pay. So because there's still an income with the business, they've been able to still pay their staff. So uh, there's that, but there's some who've been asked to be furloughed and actually it's worked okay. They've still kept a little dialogue going and they've kept them up to date, which I think if, if you're 
facing an uncertain sort of future, even if it's just from one month to another, you know you're furloughed, uh, but you also want to just know what might happen next. And so I think keeping, again, it's just, it's just communicating, isn't it? And I think that helps. Um, I know some employers who have, because some staff have wanted to go back because they don't want, you know, I think initially furlough, some people thought, yes, I can stay at home and still be paid a large chunk of my wage and I'm not on holiday, but it, it felt okay. But I think it was short lived for a lot of people I've spoken to after two or three weeks, it, it kind of ran its course and they'd had enough. And some employers have um, been quite creative saying, well, you know, we can't have everyone back because we just don't have the work. So we'll have some people back two weeks on, two weeks off, two weeks off, and when furlough became a bit more flexible. And I think that was a good way forward. That allowed the people who needed to come back. I've known uh, an, another person and she was told, um, do you want to come back? Because staff could choose because they're all working at the same level. Some um, wanted to come back and some kind of were happy on furlough. So again, keeping that communication open, they could then pick and choose. The ones who really felt they wanted to get off furlough, they could come in and work. And those who felt they were okay on furlough could stay because the needs of the business didn't need everyone back in. Yeah. And I think that that seems to work. I'm not sure that they're not all large or, or small. Um, I think there is a mix. Mm -hmm. And with the with the ones who you in your opinion have handled it well I mean inevitably there are going to be redundancies right now that's inevitable um, and it's it's an awful situation but Gareth and I have spoken the past few weeks about um, how those redundancies are presented and how the whole process takes shape and the importance of that and why it shouldn't just be a tick box exercise and and basically how you treat people as people um, and so I wonder if you've got any specific experiences or, or even opinions about how that process should be done with you know with feeling I guess and with yeah. um, support for staff. So I suppose if I if I gave you an example of what I think uh, is makes it difficult for individuals first so um, a lot of the time, what people do, uh, or employers, uh, they want the individual to sign a settlement agreement. So a settlement agreement uh, is, is what we used to call compromise agreements, and they, um, the individual is giving up their legal rights, and usually for an enhanced payment, so it's statutory plus a little bit. Um, but those documents are confidential, so um, the, the discussion around it is done on what we call a without prejudice basis. So it's done off the record. And what happens though is, in fact, I, um, I was speaking to someone the other day, what often happens is that they'll have the redundancy consultation, which says, yes, we're gonna look for work, we'll see what's happening. So you come out of that first meeting thinking, okay, well, um, yes, they're saying I'm at risk, uh, but they're going to look for work and they're going to, um, see what there is and so I'm hopeful um, and within minutes you have a second meeting in fact you could still be sitting in the same room and they just say okay well that one's ended and now we'll have this discussion it's without prejudice it's off the record but we're offering you 
this and you'll leave today or tomorrow or next week. Yeah. And you come out of there thinking, I thought they were going to find me new work. But now they're saying, well, can you get out the door? And so it gets very confusing whether they actually wanted you to stay or whether they're actually looking for you to leave. So I, I think if they made that a little bit clearer, this, that second meeting is an option. So usually it's an option, sometimes it's not an option, but usually it's an option where you can leave with some extra money, well, usually with some extra money, but it means we don't go down the consultation route. Um, and it actually helps the employer because they can save time by not doing that consultation, not looking for other work for you. Um, and it helps the employee because they can draw a line under it and move on immediately. Yeah. But I think when they mix those two things up, as an individual, you haven't a clue whether they actually are, are gonna try and find you work, which is what you're hoping, mm -hmm. or they really want to get rid of you and you, you feel, well, I didn't do anything wrong but you don't have to have done anything wrong, but I think it can let, leave you feeling that you've done something wrong. So I think that's an example of where they perhaps don't do it very well. It is always difficult, but I think if they explained that second process uh, and uh, explained it in a way that one, you don't have to accept it, two, you've done, not done anything wrong, but it is an option to make it a little bit quicker and you can get some more money, and I know a lot of people do explain it, but it's whether the individual hears it properly or not. Yeah. But I think if they try to, to make that a little bit clearer, easier, and perhaps not mixed up with the same consultation meeting, I think that would make a, a life a little bit, well, yeah, a little bit easier perhaps for the individual. Mm -hmm. So some clarity then. Yeah, a little bit of clarity and, and perhaps it's the way in which it's said as well, I think. You know, no one wants to feel that someone wants to get rid of them, especially if you've given the last five years working really hard, probably doing those extra hours. And then what you hear, they want to get rid of me. And I think if you explain that it's not that we want to get rid of you, perhaps we have no choice because we have redundancies coming up. But but we want to make it as as uh, painless as possible. Mm -hmm. the, the thing that we've been discussing as well is about the the general culture of organizations and in, in, um, small businesses and how they conduct themselves in general. And then throughout this process, if they're having to make redundancies, how that then comes across and how they continue to conduct themselves within that kind of already set culture, if you like, um, as, as they, well, you wouldn't say perform these redundancies, but as they go about making people redundant um, and how, that then leaves the employee feeling and then and then it's how that then impacts the wider society because those employees who have then been made redundant and who have been made redundant in a way that makes them feel you know lower self self-efficacy lower self-esteem lack of confidence and um, how does you mentioned it earlier Harsha actually how does that then make them feel about going for new work positions going into new interviews applying for new jobs perhaps it could impact which jobs they go for and then so you see this ripple effect yeah. in terms of coming back to how people are treated and how their their redundancies are dealt with um 
so yeah it's not really a question I suppose more of an observation that that Gareth and I have been discussing a lot recently I think I mean I, I think it is true I think people coming out of redundancy some of them are very happy with it um, and that's fine that's great for them they've moved on and if they find work within a month or they uh, some of them become self-employed uh, that that's fantastic but there is um, a, a vast number of people who will come out of a redundancy having that you know lowest self-esteem like you say will struggle to kind of um, go back into the workplace um, to look for something or, or to even start applying to things they might have not um, looked for work for years they might have not done a CV I mean it, it changes so rapidly as to the whole recruitment process has changed and they might not be familiar with how to do that. So some employers do provide um, uh, sort of career counseling or career support or guidance, and that's really good. And so as part of a, a settlement agreement, some employers, usually large employers, will provide a sum of money towards uh, some kind of career counseling who can help you draft CVs or help you how you look for work and that type of thing. But they are in the minority. Most people won't provide that kind of um, support going forward. And I suppose in the legal context, there's no obligation on the employer to do anything of that nature. It's just whether um, as, a, as a society, we, we want to uh, put something in place where, where people feel supported um, post, uh, post-termination. Um, but it isn't a legal requirement that as long as they pay, in fact, just the statutory redundancy, notice pay, holiday pay, whatever you're owed, um, then they've done their bit as an employer. Uh, they don't need to do any more. But of course, we have got then a whole pool of people um, who are not contributing in the normal sort of workplace uh, and perhaps struggle to get back into um, employment in, in, in the same way. Uh, which is a, is is a problem, and I suppose we need to find ways uh, where people can access different services, whether it's um, like you do, Gareth. You know, coaching services or or mindfulness or something that actually helps them bring themselves back to having the confidence um, and and gaining your own sense of self worth without being validated externally. Yeah. I guess one of the things as well is, you know, what's the impact of a, a redundancy process on the people who, you know, remain in the business? Yeah. Do you see that aspect of, you know, from oh, your absolutely. role? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Because um, inevitably, even if there is a decline, even if work has diminished, um, going down from, let's say, that, that idea of five people down to two, the, the likelihood is the work hasn't disappeared and so those two who are left often whether it whether it's real or not real feel they're going to do the work of five people because in in their mind uh, the the work is there it might not be to the same extent as it had been but they'll feel the work is there and we're now covering for the three people that we've lost and that does happen and you know um there are people I know who end up working excessively long hours, um, unfortunately, sometimes ending up with, with stress or anxiety, uh, burnout, 
um, and and it has a huge impact on those that remain. Um, and uh, the flip side of that is where people have been out of the workplace, whether it's through um, you know sickness, absence, or maternity or paternity, um, and then they're told, well, actually, we realised we didn't need you anyway, and then you kind of feel devalued then as well because you think, well, what what have I been doing for the last three years? If you now feel that you can just remove me completely um which which people do as well and again that might be kind of termed as a redundancy but those people who remain are picking up that person's work yeah in some cases that can be a huge concern for people going on maternity or paternity leave or any kind of un well yeah. leave or unpaid leave um even on holiday sometimes you know if you've got a two or three week holiday booked it might be the case of oh if, if you know that redundancies are looming, could yeah. this impact my position in the workplace or? Absolutely, yeah. I think it does cause a lot of concern. You know, uh, there's, I'm, I'm sure there's lots of uh, women in particular who put off having children to ensure that it doesn't negatively impact their career or their job prospects. Um, so yeah, it, it, I think it does uh, impact. And especially now where, um, there are redundancies so any kind of absence you kind of do start thinking well what are they going to think if I have to take sick leave what if I need an operation and they kind of think well actually we can do without you because uh, you're out of action for two weeks and we've coped without you mm -hmm. um, so I think it, it is a constant worry I think there's a high level of anxiety um, I'm sure amongst employers as well but uh, I, I see the employees far more a huge number of you know a high rate of anxiety amongst a lot of people at the moment yeah yeah it's difficult for for all parties and isn't it at the moment employers and employees and they the, the anxiety from a personal point of view as an employee is, is undoubted i think the challenge for employers at a personal level can be you're doing the right thing when you've got all of this pressure mounting on you to to quickly make decisions for the sake of uh, saving the business yeah. which can then create employment you know down the line we, we we might not know when but for the longevity of the business and the employment opportunities it can create in next year five years 10 years 20 50 years yeah we have to look after that business and uh, that, that pressure to make a decision to look after the bottom line and the cash flow now yeah. is huge and doing the right thing and acting humanely under those circumstances i guess that's what integrity is but it, it's a difficult balancing act i think i think it it is very difficult especially because uh, you know over the last sort of decade two decades employment law has changed rapidly and um especially if you're a small employer to keep on top of that and be able to get the right advice at a price you can afford um is really hard to stay on top of it and so i know a lot of businesses i speak to uh, feel that the odds are against them, um, where in reality, the odds are against an individual. But I think the perception is that employers have a lot of a, a huge employment law burden on them. Um, and even accessing HR advice or legal advice can get costly. So I think uh, a lot of people, a lot of employers tend to try and just do what they can do themselves. And then when they get into trouble, they're going to seek advice and then they think, my goodness, that's so costly. Um, 
Whereas actually, if you are, especially if you get HR support in the background, uh, you're probably going to avoid problems. And that would be, you know, uh, a well worth investing in um, uh, sort of even at an early stage. I think if you have sort of five employees, I think you should have some kind of HR, even external HR support. Fantastic. Harsha, we, we have overrun our allotted time and uh, it's been fascinating talking to you and, and getting your insights. Um, you know, I'm, we've only just scratched the surface, really. There's so much more we could uh, interrogate you about. Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for. We'd love to yeah, have you back on again. I'm sure Carly would agree. Yeah, absolutely. We could talk to you all, all morning, I think. <laughs> but we won't. <laughs> no, we'll not take up too much of your time. But thank you so much thank for you. coming on. Indeed. Thank you are, there any, yeah. are there any final words that you might have for an employer or an employee uh, to um, close the podcast out? Oh, dear. I suppose, you know, I kind of always uh, drift back to kind of my own idea of, because as you know, I, I teach yoga. So just to remain calm. And if you can't make a decision to take a, a few long, deep breaths before making the decision, um, or, or whatever choices you have, I think is is good in all kind of ways. So I think um, that's all I think is is worth saying. Great, yes. excellent, nice, good. Great piece. advice for everybody in general, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant, excellent. Well, fantastic. That's it's been that's great, great talking with you, Harsha, and we would love to have you back on the show in a future thank date. You. And uh, I'm sure our listeners would too. So thank you very much. Yeah, thank, thank you very much. Goodbye. Bye now. You've been listening to the Culture Gym Podcast. Thanks for working out with us. Till next time, work happy. Mm-hmm.